Blog Talk Radio. Here comes Boston on the run. Here's Crawford on the drive. Scores it. Again, that Boston quickness running the floor. Terry with the miss. There's Bradley. They can jump with playing defense and now offensive rebounding. Avery Bradley is a defender, but you're not expecting him to score 22 points, I'm sure. No, not at all. But, uh, you know, that's what he's been doing for this team. He's spotting up, making the open shots. He's running their team. He's playing great. It's the Celtics beat with Ty Reddy. Hi, everybody. Ty Ray, Rich Conti, Celtics beat for a Sunday afternoon NBA playoff style. So happy to be here. Lots to talk about on today's show. Of course, we have the frustrations to get off our chest, don't we, Rich, about yesterday's game one loss in Madison Square Garden to the Knicks, a game that the Celtics, I thought, played just great basketball for two and a half quarters and let the Knicks get away with an 85-78 victory. Also on today's show, somebody I'm very excited to have. I've been working on this for a couple weeks now. His name is Wayne Lynch. He's a author and historian of 76ers basketball, and he wrote a book called The Story, uh, Season of the Sixers, The Story of Wilt Chamberlain and the 1967 NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers. Now, this was the team that ended the Celtics' eight-year run uh, as NBA champs that ended that great dynasty of the Boston Celtics. And we're going to have Wayne on the show to talk about that. He's also currently news director at Northwest News Channel in Seattle, so we can talk some current NBA basketball with him in regards to the possible move of the Kings back to the Seattle area. Lots going on with that, lots of politicking back and forth, lots of, lots of uh, posturing, if you will, by both sides from the Kings uh, and the city of Seattle. Uh, later in the show, of course, Rich and I will look at the other playoff action going on as well. Take a look at Game 2, preview that Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden between the Celtics and the Knicks. And let's get to my co-host, CLM, CLNS contributor, Rich Conti. Rich, I've got to get your impressions of Game 1 at the Garden yesterday. Hey, Ty, great to be here. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That was frustrating. You know, that, that game was there for them for the taking. Uh, they played great in the first half. You know, I thought coming into the game, um, really the question was, which Celtic team would show up? Would it be the team that struggled over the first three months to kind of find their identity? Would it be the team that kind of pulled together in the wake of Rondo's injury and, and ran off that great six-week stretch of play through February and March? Would it be the team that, you know, kind of fell apart toward the end of the uh, the season and down the stretch, you know, guys got injured, uh, some guys were tired, and they really struggled to find a rotation. And, man, for the first half, it looked like that team from February and March. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I really thought that that first half of basketball, even though they led by four points, I thought that was some of their best basketball they had played in more than a month. I thought it was just a solid game defensively. They did a great job on Carmelo Anthony, a sound job on J.R. Smith, not letting both of them get off in the contest at all. They battled the boards pretty evenly, and then the offense completely disappeared from about the mid-third quarter on. People forget the Celtics were up, what, 70-63 to 63 in the third quarter. Yeah, right coming to about two minutes left in the third quarter, they, they broke it out to that seven-point lead. Uh, the, the, the first half, you're, you're right, it might have been the best first half they played for at least half a season. Um, and, you know, they, they could have been up by as many as 10 or 15 points if it weren't for the, you know, the Knicks having a, uh, a bit of a hot streak there in the first quarter and beginning of the second uh, from, uh, from three. And then, you know, a few untimely turnovers, I thought, really, you know, limited the lead they could have had in the first half. And, wow, the offense just, just kind of ground to a halt there to, in the third quarter and especially the fourth. A lot of standing around, no movement, and really just that, that isolation looking for Pierce or, or Garnett to make a play. It's, it's just really tough for them to score that way. Yeah, and they've got so many. I, I say this time and time again. It, it just completely mystifies me. They have guys that can put the ball in the basket, and then they go on these 
these tremendous droughts. Yesterday was so frustrating to watch. I, I'll tell you what I found more frustrating than just the fact that they couldn't throw it in the ocean in the fourth quarter was that what they only shot the ball 11 times in the fourth quarter. That's not enough times getting a shot at the rim. And so many wasted possessions in that fourth quarter. What, eight turnovers? This team needs to learn to value the basketball, Rich. And I know that you've heard me preach that time and time again on on Facebook and Twitter. But nothing really as a fan ticks me off more than wasted possessions, especially when a team like the Celtics can't get extra opportunities. They can't get extra scoring opportunities because they're they're not a good offensive rebounding team. Yeah, I agree. You know, some of that, some of those turnovers, um, you know, were a function of, of trying to have Avery Bradley, who's really inexperienced initiating the offense, kind of kind of run the show there. I think, you know, Doc seems a little bit leery to just, you know, kind of put that responsibility fully in the hands of, of, of Pierce and let him do it. And, and they need to find another answer there. I'm not sure if it's Courtney Lee. I'm not sure if it's, you know, running Jason, Perry, uh, Jason Terry off the pick and roll a little bit more. But I thought a, a lot of the turnovers, especially in the fourth. Uh, I'm not one to, to, to complain a lot about the referees, but I thought there were quite a few um, non-calls there that, that I found really questionable, uh, particularly on Green, who was you know, making strong moves to the basket. Guys were you know, slashing down with their hands on the ball and, and prying it loose. And, and you know, if that's not going to be called, it's, it's, it's hard to value the ball in those situations where you know, the other team is, is getting away with maybe a little bit uh, overly physical play. Yeah, it is. And and also, I think Jeff is the kind of player that possibly, what can I say, if if he's not successful doing something, like driving the lane for two or three straight possessions, then he's not going to continue to do that. He's not that aggressive yet. Although, I was so impressed with him yesterday, Rich, especially in that first half. Here's a guy that has been so maligned. And this was a playoff high for him. He really took it to the Knicks in the first half. Played a bet. He was the best player on the floor for those for those first twenty four minutes. Absolutely. And if the Celtics can get a you know consistent play like they did yesterday out of Green and out of Bass, honestly, I thought um, you know obviously KG always has a, a huge impact defensively, as does Avery Bradley. But but Bass was a revelation. I mean, he he really got up under uh, Carmelo, really forced him into a lot of those kind of mano a mano uh, long twos that that um, you know uh, Carmelo can lapse into, and and Green. You know, the first half, he was aggressive, he was assertive. I thought, especially in the, the late third, early fourth quarter, I think he started uh, to hold the ball a little bit. Uh, I think his success in the first half came on those quick hitters. He would take a pass and, you know, make a quick post move or quick slash to the basket. And, and that seemed to really, you know, free the offense up quite a bit for everybody. Uh, the second half, if it wasn't Pierce run, running the isolation, they were they were isolating Green out in the wing, and and the the, the ball just stopped. and And he's got to either make that quick move or or pe- swing the ball to the other side and get that defense moving. I I couldn't agree more. I I could not agree more with you. And that's why I said uh, earlier in the show, just a few minutes ago, it just absolutely mystifies me with the players that they have on the court, guys that have just great offensive ability that they just cannot find a way to put it in the hole for these long droughts. And this will be interesting to see how they react in game two. We'll touch on this later in the show, but I do think they need somebody out there on the court in the fourth quarter. Dare I say his name, Rich, Jordan Crawford? Dare I say I thought you were going to go there, and you know I was actually uh, really surprised that Doc went to him over Courtney Lee yes. in the first half. Um, I, I think he was a little bit of a turnstile defensively. I don't know if you can get away with um, having Crawford guard J.R. Smith for any any um, extended uh, period of time without Smith going off, but. You know, he's certainly um, not the type to sit around and, and watch other guys try to generate offense. So if they're looking for somebody to be a little bit more assertive with the ball, he, he certainly could be that guy. Well, there were times yesterday where I actually was hoping he would be on the floor. One, because he can penetrate. And two, because we've said this time and time again since he was acquired by the Wizards, he is a great passer. He may be the best passer on the team, not named Rajon Rondo. I think T. Will's a pretty darn good passer, too. But he can pass the basketball, and he can facilitate. So maybe 
they need to see a little bit more Jordan Crawford in the playoffs. And we all know he's not bashful to, to put up a shot either, whereas other players, um, you know, sometimes they're a little hesitant on the floor. And what in the world has happened to Jason Terry, Rich? This is not the guy I expected to see. I thought once the postseason got here that we would see a completely different player. And yesterday, 0 for 5 from the field. And what was him trying to go for a dunk on Tyson Chandler? I appreciate the enthusiasm, but that's not going to work. Yeah, we we were talking about that on the live blog yesterday, and and um, you know if Jeff Green um, had the confidence that Jason Terry has, um, you know he'd be an All Star. And and uh, someone joked uh, that Terry would be a better player if he had a little bit less confidence uh, in himself. And you know he he just disappeared. And and you know I think he needs the ball in his hands. He, you know he, he most of his offense in in Dallas was generated off of that pick and roll with Dirk, where he had the ball in his hands. Right. He, he got to make a decision and play off a of Dirk and and you know too often he's buried in a corner somewhere with the Celtics and you know expected to kind of just you know catch and shoot hit a shot and you know that's not his game and honestly if he doesn't come around I think we will see a lot more of Jordan Crawford in this series I think I think Terry's pretty close to running out of chances at this point I I, I agree I, I thought and I defended Jason Terry for a good half of the season because if you look at his his numbers over over the year, really really not that far off his career numbers as far as true shooting percentage. But the final month he really ran out of gas, and then yesterday uh, just terrible with the basketball. That's always my biggest complaint with Jason Terry. It's not missing the shots; it's the careless passing of the basketball. I wish every member of the Celtics were like Terrence Williams, Rich. They would carry a basketball with them. Everywhere they go, sleep with the basketball everywhere they go, and realize that this team needs to value every single possession it gets in the playoffs. Well, Rich, we've got our guest on the line. I'll tell you what, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by author and historian of the Philadelphia 76ers, Wayne Lynch. You're listening to the Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Hey, Mike Fay from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of CelticsTown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celtics Town, King of the Court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy Heinsohn proud because I know he loves that style of play. Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Shamroen hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're going to hate LeBron James for the next seven years and you've already hated him for five years. Tune in for the block party with CLNS Locker Room reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to yeah. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to ELNS Radio. What's new at CLNSRadio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube postgame show recorded on the parquet floor. 
CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22838 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you missed the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at clnsradio.com. clnsradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Celtics team. Now here's your host, Ty Red. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Celtics Beat. I'm Ty Ray, along with my co-host today, Rich Conte, CLNS columnist and contributor. And I'm very pleased to be joined right now by 76ers historian and author Wayne Lynch. He's also the news director at Northwest News Channel in Seattle. And, Wayne, thank you to the program. We really appreciate you spending your Sunday afternoon with us for a few minutes. I'm having one of those uh, multiple screen experiences here, watching uh, the NBA and a little bit of golf and on the online and, on, and talking to you. So it's kind of fun, yeah, on a Sunday. Oh, you got to love technology. It's a great thing. Well, here I am. Oh, yeah. my, my co-host is in South Carolina, so technology is a great thing. And I, I, have a little, <laughs> I have a little story to tell before we get started, Rich. Uh, I, I'd want to let Rich know how I met Wayne. I was interviewing for a job at Northwest News Channel, Rich, and I go into Wayne's office, and there's 76 or stuff up on the wall. Now, as a Celtic fan, do you think I have a snowball's chance to try to get a job when you meet a 76 or fan? That, that'll, that'll put you on edge of it. Yeah, yeah I, I thought that put me at a, at a severe disadvantage right away. But anyway, we had a very good rapport, Wayne, and I, I still enjoy the day we met and the discussion we had, and I've thought about you and this book ever since. And I'm glad you're, you're going to talk about it with us. The name of the book is Season of the 76ers, the story of Wilt Chamberlain and the 1967 NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers. This was the team that ended this great Celtic dynasty, the eight-year run they had from, what, 59 to 66. This Philadelphia team, Wayne, as I found out doing research uh, after I met you, what an incredible, talented team. They got off to a 46-4 and start that season. Yes, and I wanted to clear up one thing, Ty. I actually had security remu- remove you from my office because I found out you were a Celtics fan. You're, you're conveniently forgetting that. But That's no. right. That's right. <laughs> uh, yes, it was uh, in the book I called the chapter about them winning one year wondrous, and then it turned out that they were one year wonders, unfortunately, because of a lot of circumstances that happened the next season when the Sixers and Celtics met again for the Eastern Championship. Uh, it really was an incredibly talented team. Uh, and, of course, we always talk about uh, Wilt never being surrounded by the right people. Uh, and they certainly surrounded him that year with the best possible coach. He could have had a real motivator, a militaristic-type guy who ran it that way. And, and, of course, Al Greer, Chet Walker, Billy Cunningham, Luke Jackson, and the gang. What a great team. I mean, the names that you just you just spouted off, they're absolutely incredible. Now, that particular year, Will pretty much realized he had a great deal of talent around him and was much more a distributor of the basketball than in years past. I didn't realize he was such a great passer. Yes, and Hannum, Alex Hannum, the late Alex Hannum, his coach, really, uh, I, I used to, I talked to Alex several times for the book, and he was in the construction business, Alex was, in, in California, but for Wilt, he did a little reconstruction because he convinced Wilt that he had to really change the nature of his game or they were not going to win. There were too much. There was too much talent on that team to uh, make make him the total centerpiece. And he was willing to. Uh, he even gave up the scoring title that year to Rick Barry, which is somewhat of a, a feat in itself to sort of not score when you can. And uh, the rest of the guys just they they moved the ball well. They were streaky, but very very effective and very hard to beat in a league that was much smaller and a lot less physical. Well, they dispatched the Celtics in five games, uh, and this was Bill Russell's first year, and this was not even a close series in the East that year. They beat the Celtics in five, and 
just tore them up in the garden, what, 140 to 116, or I think that was the score uh, in that final game, and really, really uh, exacted their revenge on the Celtics that year. That had to be just a sweet victory for Philadelphia, not just to win the title, but to knock off the Celtics in the process. Well, I remember that game very well. It was actually um, uh, in, played in Philly. And, um, oh, in Philly, uh, okay. The Celtics, the Celtics were up 70-65 at the half, and then uh, a fellow by the name of Wally Jones that some of your uh, longtime diehard round ball fans may remember just went on an absolute tear. He was throwing stuff up. He had kind of a, a strange motion when he shot, kind of a jackknife. His legs, his toes would almost meet his hands when he jumped. Uh, and uh, they they just pulled away toward the end. And uh, Billy Cunningham, who was part of the book with me, remembered how Bill Russell uh, just wouldn't stop playing. Even though they were way down, he just kept going. He, he wouldn't give up. And when they shook hands at the end of the game, uh, it really meant a lot, uh, you know, seeing the Celtics go out very proudly, but they knew they, they met the team that was more than their match that, that particular year. Now, I have to ask you, what was your background in being a Sixer fan? Did you grow up in Philadelphia? How did this all come about? Because I, this is really a book from a fan's perspective, from what I've read. Well, when I was uh, 16, living in Pittsburgh, my hometown, uh, back then the NBA actually played neutral court games. Uh, Boston sometimes played at Hartford, uh, and uh Syracuse would play uh, perhaps in Buffalo when they didn't have a team. And the Sixers were playing six games that year in Pittsburgh. It was a litmus test to see if Pittsburgh could be an NBA franchise because they were fairly successful as an ABA franchise when Connie Hawkins played for the Pittsburgh Pipers and before that the Wrens. So it was a bit of a litmus test. When I found out they were coming, I wanted to go with my friends. About four of us you know, begged our parents for money. We bought tickets. We had front row or third row seats. And my love for the Sixers really went back to listening to play-by-play on the radio wasn't much televised basketball then except Sundays on ABC. So I would listen to all the great play-by-play announcers, and I listened to the Havlicek stole the ball game. Uh, I thought this was a turning point for Philly, uh, uh, and because I liked them, because of Wilt and them coming to Pittsburgh, I just kind of dedicated myself to remember that season and make notes about it, and then 30 years later decided to write about it after my brother uh, found the old yearbook from the following season, 67, 68, and bought it for me. And I said, you know what? Nobody ever has written a book about this team. All the great Philadelphia sports writers, Bill Conlon, uh, there's a a bunch of them. You thought by now they would have written about it. They didn't, so that opened the door for me, and I spent a lot of time in Philly researching. Hey, Wayne, this is Rich Conti. I I wonder if you can draw any parallels for us between, um, you know, Wilt particularly breaking through with the championship in 67 with the Sixers and LeBron James breaking through uh, with the Heat last year. You know, both obviously they're very physically dominant uh, players that, um, you know, struggled earlier in their careers uh, to achieve the type of success that a lot of folks expected uh, from them. Um, You know, I know now that James has won one, the conventional wisdom seems to be that, you know, the monkey's off his back. He's the runoff, you know, multiple championships. Didn't actually work out that way for Wilt. What what, what parallels can we draw? Well, you know, LeBron has won three of the last four MVPs and will probably win this year's MVP. Four out of five, that's pretty rarefied error. Wilt won three in a row, um, so LeBron hasn't quite done that yet. Um, you have to remember that when Chamberlain was playing for the Warriors then in Philadelphia, the Celtics were really at their total peak in, in talent. Uh, Russell and Sam, uh, Sam Jones and KC, Havlicek was just a, he was a killer. Uh, you know, Siegfried, uh, all of them, Don Nelson with a great bounce shot against the Lakers the, the, in the 68-69 championships. I, I think that um, Wilt was, uh, you know, he, he has so many records from that first year. He was the MVP and the Rookie of the Year. And um, I, the Sixers won their championship eight years into Wilt's career, and the Heat has won with LeBron nine years into his career. So there are definitely some some parallels as it takes this amount of time often to break through, and because they are so dominant, uh, it, it really changes the equation. I often think that Wilt never fouled out of a game 
ever in his career as a pro because the league wasn't as rough and tough back then. And, you know, Will, did, Will could have stood there in the lane and beat people up as, you know, trying to come in and, and, and go for a layup, but that wasn't his style. And so he never did foul out, but he could pour in the points at Will until Tandem changed his style and turned him into an assist leader. It's pretty crazy. I, I'm thinking about this right now. I think we, we tend to think of Chamberlain as this big body in the key there at will, but you don't think of him as a great passer, and yet, what, he averaged eight assists a game. I think it's he's one of the top passing centers in the history of basketball, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he, he did, and, and uh, he really gave himself up. And, you know, the, the in 68, the Sixers won the, the East again, and the Celtics were right behind them, and in the series, uh, the Sixers went up three to one, and then Cunningham got a broken arm uh, in a previous series, and they kind of ran out of gas. And the Sixers lost the last game by by four points. And I also I happened to be at the Spectrum for game number one, which was two days after Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis, and that really cast a pall over the entire series. And when you think about what we've just watched in Boston, and I can tell you that everybody in Seattle just salutes Boston for what it, it endured this week and, and came through, it, it really, they almost didn't play that game. They almost did not play that game. The Sixers really wanted it to be postponed. The Celtics pushed for it really more than Philly, and they went out and played, and the Sixers were listless, and uh, the Celtics won that game by, I believe, nine points, if I recall correctly. You've been a Sixer fan your whole life. Are you sad, sad Wayne, that that they really haven't gotten back to the powerhouse they were in the '60s? And you could say they were just as strong in the '80s for a long period of time, and they really haven't found any consistency since then for such a great organization. Yes, I think um, they're a little harder to follow because they don't seem to be together on all levels from management down through. I, I was sorry to see Doug Collins go, but, you know, last year at this time, uh, guys, we were watching the Sixers and the Celtics again yes. in a best of seven that the Celtics finally prevailed in, and it was just great to see one of those best of sevens again. I remember in 82 when the Sixers went in there and won the seventh game in the Boston Garden, almost unheard of at the time. And, yes, they were strong in the 60s and 80s, not so much in the 70s. Remember, they had the worst record in basketball history, 9-72, and 72, I think it was, yeah. or 9-73, and 9-73, and, and yet they had one of the greatest records of all time the year that they won the first title, which was 68-13. and 13. So, and, and then they won 65 games with Moses. So they've almost been at the extremes of NBA. And I, I was just reading, a, you know, just to throw this in real quick, if I had the time, I was reading about Alan Iverson today, who has just gone through a terrible divorce, is basically busted, uh, and uh, he doesn't really know what to do and where he's going in his life, and it's kind of sad to see one of those great stars um, have so much difficulty as, as their careers ended, and they really had nothing left to turn to because of terrible decisions and alcohol and divorce and all those kinds of things. It's, it's sad. It, it, he's one of the great 76ers, and I'm not sure how he'll be remembered. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Rich. You had something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Iverson, um, you know, for a long time, was one of my favorite non-Celtic uh, players in the league. And, and, you know, I always had a feeling that, you know, as, as his career advanced and, and he started to lose some of his, you know, amazing physical gifts, gifts, just the quickness and the strength and the explosion for a guy his size, I thought he had the opportunity to, to, to reformulate his career and kind of recast himself in much the same way that Nate Archibald did at the end of his career. And it, it, it never really uh, turned that way, Wayne. Is that something as a Sixers fan that 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 you thought about how you know um, Ivers with all his gifts could just be a tremendous facilitator of, of an offense if he really put his mind to it? Yeah, I think he um, obviously had some self-destructive nature about him. Uh, he was very reclusive, uh, and he's probably gotten more reclusive uh, uh, over the last few years because his fortunes have not fared well. Uh, I think. Um, you may remember when he won that first game against the Lakers in the NBA playoffs. It must have been 2001, and he seemed to be at the top of his game. They went on to lose that series, but uh, um, he he lost he lost a lot of friends. 
He lost a lot of fans. People like Larry Brown still worry about him, and, and Pat Croce, who was the boss in Philly for a while, and, and even John Thompson, who coached him in Georgetown after he had the trouble in Norfolk uh, with all the altercation he got into. He had so much support, but it seemed as though he squandered it, and um, that's a sad tale. That's a sad tale for, for basketball fans because he was one of the classics. Getting to present day, Wayne, your news yeah. director at Northwest News Channel in Seattle, there's a lot of talk. We don't know what the talk exactly is because we get conflicting stories about whether or not the Sonics are going to move back from Seattle, or move from Sacramento to Seattle. Do you think the Kings will stay in Sacramento? What does your gut tell you about relocating this team? Well, I've heard for weeks that it's a done deal. <laughs> we're, we're going to get them. Then I hear other things that say, wait a minute, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Uh, Kevin Johnson, I, I think uh, the best the best defense is a good offense. I think they put on a tremendous late uh, late quarter surge, you might say, to keep the team. I think it's cast some doubt on the process. I think there's some doubt in David Stern's mind from what I have read and observed. Uh, I don't think it's a done deal. I think it's going to go right down to the wire. But I would say this, the Hanson-Balmer group, uh, Chris Hanson in Seattle and Steve Balmer from Microsoft in Seattle, certainly have put their financing plan in place and it is in my judgment likely to be more solid than anything that sacramento can do question is if it's really a match do you stay with the you know the, the team that brought you to the dance uh, i would not rule it out but i think seattle deserves a team at some point i wish they could get one without stealing from sacramento but uh, and, I, and i have to say you know seattle brought this a little bit on themselves the last year they were here before they were sold Bad, bad team, no fan support, very minimal, even with Durant on the floor. Uh, so in a sense, they've, they've, they've caused a little bit of this trauma themselves, and uh, I hope they can be rewarded, even though they may have failed the team down the stretch. And, of course, the ownership then, the, the man who owns Starbucks, Howard Schultz, decided to uh, you know surrender the team to Clay Bennett. And now Clay Bennett's on the Board of Governors, so wonder how he's going to vote. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is kind of hard to believe that we no longer have basketball, Wayne, in the great Northwest because of such the, the rich history of NBA basketball in Seattle. I still remember as a child watching that parade through downtown Seattle, those great Sonic teams that, that beat the beat the bullets that year and they're not here, and those records, for crying out loud, they're in Oklahoma City. How is Fred Brown's name in an Oklahoma City media guide? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. I tell you, as far as we're concerned, we're ready for football season now. We wish it was September the 9th or the 8th, and <laughs> Russell Wilson is is out there. Uh, we're opening in Charlotte against the Carolina Panthers. Then the next week, we're on Sunday Night Football on NBC uh, against the 49ers at CenturyLink Field, that will be a magnitude five. Uh, it's going to be unbelievable, and I think as much as we want basketball back, right now this is a Seahawks town, yeah. and um, no matter if they come back, it, it, there's going to be a flurry of activity and a lot of initial support, but the proof will be in the pudding. This, this Kings have not been anywhere near the playoffs. They're not going to be winners. It's a tough conference. There's eight, nine teams that can outplay them now. So it's going to be a struggle. You know, the Mariners are still sort of uh, hot and cold. It's a football town. Well, it's never, I, I, I can't see hockey coming here right away, maybe sometime. But let's get the Sonics in here first. And I think that would be sort of the icing on the cake for a town that is a major league town but sometimes stumbles and falls. Hey Wayne, it's Rich. Um, yeah, Rich. You know, you've got you've got your ear to the ground up there in the Northwest. Um, who holds the cards in this situation? Is it the Maloofs? Are they just really looking for the best deal that they can get past, or um, is it as most would expect Stern who holds the cards? I don't think I have enough information to answer that well. Uh, I just do know that Hansen has truly put all of his ducks in a row, and there are still some obstacles uh, to building the arena, and there's uh, environmental concerns that still have not been met. met uh, they may play in the key arena for two more years. Not the best place to play. I'd put it maybe a touch above old Arco Arena when it was called Arco Arena. Um, so I think that the hope is that Seattle being Seattle, high-tech city, 
growing uh, growing with the employment here, uh, housing strong. Um, it has a lot of cachet. Uh, I think that it, from a marketing standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, I believe the NBA can make a lot more money with a team in Seattle than they can make with a team in Sacramento, all things considered at the end of the day. The name of the book is Season of the Sixers, the story of Wilt Chamberlain and the 1967 NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers. Author, historian Wayne Lynch, thanks for being a guest today on CLNS Radio Celtics Beat. Before I let you go, where can somebody get a copy of this book? Well, if you have a you know some spare change in your sofa, you can uh, <laughs> you can still get it on Kindle. It's not it's no longer in print. You can get the Kindle version by going to Amazon. What a, what a shameless plug! It doesn't cost a whole heck of a lot, and uh, you know there's some great photos in there. Uh, 20 pages of some of the best photos from that era that you'd want to see. Some hey, Mike, say some Mike, so give it a shot. Thanks, Wayne. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Hey, loved it, Ty. I look forward to seeing you again. Rich, best of luck. Uh, and I think uh, I don't see how the Celtics are going to lose in Boston because of what you've just been through. It's going to be crazy. I see it going seven. Uh, enjoy as much as you can. Thanks, Wayne. We are. Take care of yourself. Have, have a good Sunday, Wayne. You too, guys. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. That's Wayne Lynch. News Director at Northwest News Channel in Seattle, also author of Season of the Sixers, the story of Wilt Chamberlain and the 1967 NBA champion Philadelphia 76ers. You can get his book on Amazon.com. Now, when we come back on Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, we'll look ahead to that game, too, that Wayne Lynch just talked about. At Well, actually, that one's going to be at Madison Square Garden. We'll look ahead to that game on Tuesday night, plus look at other playoff matchups in the NBA when we come back on Celtic Speed. Hey, Mike Faye from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of CelticsTown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celtics Town, King of the Court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy Heinsohn proud because I know he loves that style of play. Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Chamberlain hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're going to hate LeBron James for the next seven years and you've already hated him for five years. Tune in for the block party with CLNS Locker Room reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to yeah. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune in to the Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you are listening to ELNS Radio. What's new at CLNSRadio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube postgame show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. 
stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22838 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at clnsradio.com. clnsradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Here's your host, Ty Ray. Little Beatles for us on a Sunday afternoon. Welcome back to Celtics Beat. Ty Ray along with Rich Conti. We just got done interviewing Wayne Lynch, Philadelphia 76ers historian. Great perspective, Rich. I really enjoyed talking to him and, and the parallels that he was drawing between LeBron James and Wilt Chamberlain, they are striking, and you and I were talking about this in the break, and it's not easy to win multiple championships, and as you said, you know, people are expecting that out of LeBron. Yeah, I mean, you look at Wilt, and, you know, there probably wasn't, you know, until LeBron came along, as singularly physically dominant a player uh, as Wilt, and, you know, the the careers followed similar tracks and and Wilk broke through in that that 67 uh uh season and and won the championship and um you know um could have set the stage for for him running off several in a row and it never really panned out for Wilt so i guess you know we'll wait and see um you know if it really is a case of lebron having the monkey off his back now and 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 is poised to win multiple championships but you know it's 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 just not that easy no, and, and a little luck has got to come your way, too. And Celtics fans can remember that we were all thinking about winning back-to-back titles that second year of the Garnett era, and the Celtics got off to another great start. I think that year, Rich, they had a 19-game winning streak, and they were cruising. And then I remember that night watching that game on TNT, Garnett going up for the alley-oop in Salt Lake City, and he came down, and and we all just held our collective breath. And, of course, we we didn't realize it was going to be that serious. We kept getting told that he might be coming back, and it, it just never happened. And the Celtics fell, what, in the Eastern Conference semis that year to the Magic in seven games, nearly pulled off the upset. So it's pretty damn hard to win back-to-back titles. And for those people making the assumption that the Heat are just going to waltz their way to the championship, I don't think that's going to be the case. We can talk about the the, the playoffs a little later the, with the other teams, but Rich, I really don't think it's just going to be a, a, a heat breeze to an NBA title this year. I just don't see that happening. Well, if, if you uh, take Brandon Jennings at his word, uh, they're going to go out in the first round and uh, <laughs> lose to Milwaukee in six. He seems pretty confident, but you know, honestly, you know, um, uh, Miami's already caught a lot of breaks. You know, if you look at the Celtics with Rondo out, uh, the Bulls obviously with Rose out, Indiana's missing Granger, although uh, I would they actually missed them very much today. Uh, they, they played a pretty per- impressive uh, game to, to, to blow out Atlanta. So, you know, they, they've kind of got their ducks in a row a little bit in the East. Um, you know, you look at if the Celtics get their act together, can they give them a run? You know, the Knicks, if, if, if they're shooting like they can shoot, um, you know, I suppose they've got a puncher's chance. But, um, you know, so it looks pretty good in the East for Miami. But, you know, come the finals, you, you've got uh, Oklahoma City, you've got San Antonio, you've got a couple of other teams that I think that you know that that if the the, the breaks fall for them uh, can 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 challenge Miami. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned San Antonio. All this concern that they limped into the playoffs, and what do they do today? But dispatch of the so-called hot Lakers, who've been playing very well by double digits today, and we'll, we can talk about that uh, a little later in the show. But let's get back to the Celtics and. We can talk a little bit more about Game 1 and what they need to do for Game 2. And when we left off, uh, before we were talking to uh, Wayne Lynch about his book, we were talking about Jordan Crawford and possibly him seeing more playing time because they need some offense from somewhere. And it kind of reminds me, Rich, of... He kind of reminds me of the Stefan Marbury acquisition. I remember that was a real head-scratcher for the Celtics and he ended up winning a game for them in the playoffs against Orlando. And you got to wonder if the same might be expected of Jordan Crawford, a guy that makes you pull your hair out when you watch him play. But, boy, when he gets it going, he can get hot. He can supply that kind of instant offense the Celtics need. They certainly needed yesterday. 
Yeah, I think some of the comparisons or the the most common comparison I saw when they first acquired him was was Vinnie Johnson, the microwave. And, you know, he's got that kind of ability to just, you know, have an unconscious quarter and and win you a game that way. And, and, you know, I think that's a possibility somewhere along the line. Um, For me, it's the the, the Celtics' struggles on offense are more systemic than anything else. It seems like, you know, you talk about them balancing. Possessions and and I think that is a big part of it. I think they um you know they they lose a little bit of urgency. Um, in some ways, uh, the, the best uh, adjective I can use to describe um, what seems to happen is it seems like they get overly deliberate. It seems like they're you know it's almost like they, they value certain and are just you know really trying to slow the game down to the point where they they get a good shot, but in doing so all the motion stops, and, and that's when the ball stops moving, and it just gets so hard to score that way. Yeah, it does. And, what, eight points yesterday in the fourth quarter. I'll have to look at this. I wish we had stats at them today. I think that eight points in the fourth quarter, is that not a franchise postseason low? That's a record. The eight yeah, points I would, yesterday. Yeah, I would imagine it's a franchise low. I think the all-time low, I think they mentioned in the broadcast yesterday, was, was six points. So they, they managed just to get above that. But, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was um, a, a franchise low for the playoffs. You know, it's crazy, Rich, looking at the numbers from yesterday's game. If you would have told me that Jeff Green was going to score 26 points, the Knicks are going to shoot, what, 40% from the floor – Carmelo and J.R. Smith are going to go a combined 20 for 48. I'd say the Celtics are going to win that game. Yeah, I mean, the difference for me was the ball stopped moving in the second half for the Celtics, and uh, you know, he had a couple threes. I think he made many plays um, down the stretch when it mattered. Um, but to be honest, if the Celtics play defense and the Knicks play offense like they did yesterday throughout this series – I have a hard time not seeing, seeing the Celtics not win the series. Um, you know, the, the Knicks just went to that isolation. You know, Carmelo as the ball stopper. J.R. Smith, you know, putting his head down and, 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 and getting a shot at all costs. And they're just so easy to, to defend when they do that. And, and I thought the Celtics really, really them out of there. I mean, if they can do that, I like their chances. Yeah, I do too. And I thought, like I said at the start of the show, I thought this was the best half of basketball the Celtics have played in more than a month because, Rich, if you look back on the regular season, after that Miami game, that real heartbreaking loss where Jeff Green went off, the Celtics have won, what, five games and lost 12 games since that point, including yesterday's game. And they're just not the same team. Something is missing. And yesterday, I thought that first half was more along the lines of what Celtic basketball is all about, lockdown defense, efficient offense. And you know what was funny about the first half of yesterday's game? They even had some careless turnovers when they were playing well, with Avery Bradley throwing some passes into the point that just wanted me to – I just I was screaming at the TV, Rich, because some of these darn problems can be prevented. They, got, they just need to be safer with the basketball, and I think that would solve a lot of their problems, but that's been – uh, a case, uh, I think, all year long at times. At first half, they look like that team that, that won 14 out of 18 in, in February and March, and Philly on defense looked like that team the whole game. I, I thought in the, the second half, the offense, to me, it just it looked like the first three months of the season. You know, you had um, most of the, the, the players on the team, the complimentary players, standing around waiting for Pierce or, or Garnett, uh, in this case, to, to, to make the play. Uh, as they were doing on earlier in the season. And it's it's so hard to win that way. They they need to go back to what they were doing in the first half, those hard cuts off the ball. Um, you know, guys, you know, catching the pass and, and, and making a move to the basket immediately or passing it if, if you know there isn't an opening. Um the more you try to grind the game down, slow it down to try to take care of the ball sometimes it, it actually makes it harder because it makes the, the, the defense can just load up on one side and that's what I thought the Knicks did a good job of yesterday. Yeah, it creates horror horrible spacing and KG was not allowed to get the ball where he likes it yesterday and I think that's one reason he had such a a hard time shooting the basketball and also clearly I think he was rusty from not having played quite a bit in the last what two weeks of the season so moving forward I'm confident the Celtics can win this matchup against the Knicks but once again for me it comes down to protect protecting the basketball and and funny Rich uh, last night I was watching the Grizzlies and Clippers game and I was watching Keon Dooling and I was thinking how much the Celtics would like to have him right now 
And I don't know what happened there, but there's a real competent, experienced player who can play defense and can handle the basketball. And I would trust him more handling the basketball, honestly, than Jordan Crawford, even though I think Crawford's a better passer. I wish they had some experienced veteran uh, at the point in this series. Yeah, I mean, Dewing had some great moments, particularly in the series against Miami uh, last year. Um, You know, I I think uh, Doc... Um, wants Avery Bradley to be the guy that can initiate the offense in in Rondo's absence. Um, he's clearly not comfortable, and and I think Doc's not comfortable putting that responsibility on Pierce for the entire game. So they need an answer. Either either Bradley needs to get comfortable and and and, and figure it out really quickly, or they need to go to to Terrence Williams. They need to find somebody. Like I said earlier, if if, if Jason uh, Terry can be a threat off of the pick and roll, maybe he's the answer. But they're just it's it's too hard to get into the offense right now. If they don't have the break or the secondary fast break, it's the offense is just grinding to a halt. And and you know they're they're really getting into their set with less than 15 seconds left on the shot clock, and 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 they just can't have that. Were you surprised we didn't see any other bigs in the game for the Celtics? We didn't see Chris Wilcox. We didn't see Shav Randolph at all. A little, um, but not totally, because clearly Tyson Chandler is struggling. And really, outside of Chandler, uh, the corpse of Kenyon Martin is the only other big that that the the, the Knicks can throw out there. So it was really, to me, it was about the matchups. I think um, I think at this point, Doc has some some confidence in, in Shav Randolph. I think we'll see him at some point in this series. And if the Celtics advance, um, he'll be a necessity against a team like like Indiana if if they make it that far. But I, I think the matchups right now, particularly with Chandler, really really hobbled, um, really lean toward that or push Doc toward those smaller lineups. So let's take a look at some of the other playoff matchups. Has anything stuck out for you so far? we still got a couple of games yet to be played as far as game ones. OKC Houston plays later. Uh, I think in a couple minutes, Milwaukee and Miami is going to tip off. Now, from some of the earlier games from today and yesterday, does anything stick out in your mind, Rich? The Spurs, wow. I mean, you know, they've over the past couple of years, they've reinvented themselves as an off team, um, you know, whereas, you know, going back to their earlier championships, they, you know, they were a strong uh, defensive squad, but today they just put the clamps down on the Lakers. Um, I thought they were going to struggle a little bit with the Lakers size inside, but man, the, the, the Spurs just strangled them. And I, and I don't think the Lakers can get in, get enough guard play to really take advantage of Gasol and, and Howard's advantage inside against the Spurs. And I think, um, you know, what I, I, I thought going in might be a six-game series, and, and not that I want to overreact to one game, but after today I have a hard time seeing uh, the Spurs not you know, taking this in four straight. And how about Tim Duncan? The guy just gets better with age, man. I, I can't believe the year he is having. And there's still, to me, not enough talk about how great he's been this year. He, he's just been incredible. Absolutely. I mean, you, you couldn't get two more different personalities than, than Duncan and Garnett. And they, they certainly don't have any uh, a love lost for, for each other, um, you know, from, from, from what I can tell. But, man, those two guys are treasures. They're, they're absolute NBA treasures. And as, as fans of either team or really just the league in general, um, appreciate these guys while we still have them. Because, um, I, you know, there, there aren't too many uh, – there haven't been too many players like them in the past. And, and I don't see guys coming along that, that just have have that kind of professional and warrior mentality that those two guys have, and and they're going to be sorely missed when, when they decide to hang them up. You know, it's funny you should say that, Rich, because last night after the game, I saw a lot of Celtic fans tweeting and on Facebook so frustrated about yesterday's game, and we all were. But one thing I think we have to come to grips with is we may be watching the final run. This could be the final series of Garnett and Pierce, and I don't want to spend that those final games complaining. I want to enjoy watching them. And yesterday to see Pierce have that nice run in the third quarter, he had a three that was one of the uglier threes you'll ever see. I think it bounced around the rim and fell in. And and to see him, you know, get savvy and drive to the hoop and get fouled and get to the line, I'm just really enjoying watching this final postseason run. And I hope we don't take it for granted and we find ourselves complaining every game and don't get a chance to step back and look at just the great careers that these two guys have had, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. 
Completely agree. You know, the Celtics are obviously a transition in, uh, franchise in transition right now, and you know, there's there's frustrations that come along with that, and and that's to be expected. But uh, like you said, you, you you still need to keep in perspective um, what these two guys have, have meant to the league and to the Celtics franchise in particular, and to me, even as importantly, what they mean going forward. Even if this is the last hurrah for them, and, and they hang it up at the end of this season, the culture that they've established. The, the, the example that they play uh, stepping out on the court is a huge part of the, the Celtics' potential success going forward. And I never understood the folks at the, the trading deadline who, you know, throw around the rebuilding term and want to, you know, ship these guys out right. for, you know, a, a marginal draft pick or, a, you know, a player who might be something. People really undervalue the importance of, of, of a winning culture and continuity to successful franchises. And, and when you've built that like the Celtics have, you hold on to it like grim death. You don't let it go. That's right. And, Rich, I, I couldn't agree more. I said that when they were talking about the whole DeAndre Jordan uh, trade to the Celtics for Garnett. And you throw in Eric Bledsoe, too, who's a fine player and, and could be a real star in the game. But Kevin Garnett is owed really a big debt by the Celtics because he did change change the culture. Yes, he brought his talent, which was incredible in 2008. He was, what, uh, defensive MVP that year and MVP of the finals. But what he brought was a complete change to the Celtic franchise that, that was in, in desperate need of an identity. And they're going to have that identity, I think, moving forward, even when he leaves, because he's established that. And you can't put a value on that. It's priceless, Rich. It's absolutely priceless. You, you really can't, you know, uh, there's a lot of talent in the NBA. There's guys that come out every year. There's guys in the league right now, guys like Josh Smith and, and other players that, that you look at their, their numbers or you look at some of the things that they can do on the court. And at the end of the day, that's not what wins championships. Even with a guy as talented as LeBron, uh, who can do some, some amazing things on the court, it's, it, it really is about attitude and understanding what it takes to win. And again, that, that is the hardest part of, of you know, getting to that level of success and winning that championship is understanding what it takes. And, and man, when you've got that, you, you don't let it go. And, and, and you really need to appreciate it uh, while you have it. And I think we can't stress enough how valuable this playoff experience is going to be moving forward, even if the Celtics say go out in the first round for guys like Avery Bradley and Jeff Green. How cool was it yesterday to see Jeff Green go off for, what, 20 points? He hasn't had a, a an illustrious NBA career, let alone postseason career, and he made it look so easy in that first half. So this experience, I think, will will prove very valuable moving down the road for the Celtics. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him in a position to, to to win a game at some point here in in this playoffs. You know, with with, with a big shot, I think that'll really give him that that confidence. That's, and and that's all he's really missing. I mean, you you look at at his well rounded game. You look at his ability to to play defense on those you know six eight six nine six ten guys. You look at his ability to run the court, to hit the open shot, to make good you know sound basketball decisions most of the time. And really, all he needs to put it together is that confidence that he can step out on the court and be the best player uh, on the court certain nights. And he, he needs to believe that. And, and I know Doc has worked with him uh, on that. I know KG has been trying to give him that, that confidence. But nothing really gives you that shot in the arm, like like feeling that success in the playoffs and feeling like you made a major contribution to it. Rich, we just have a few minutes. Can you believe it? This hour has absolutely flown by. Final thoughts going into uh... – Tuesday night. Yeah, you know, I'm looking for more of the same from the Celtics, except for, you know, just realize what got them in that hole in that fourth quarter, which was the ball stopped moving. And I think if they if they play uh, as they did in the first half, you know, I, I just have a hard time seeing the Knicks match up with them, particularly with Chandler so hobbled, and particularly with guys like, like Carmelo and, and J.R. Smith, who still have not mentally, I don't think, gotten over the hump of understanding that, you know, it's not all about you, and it's not um, about trying to single-handedly win a game uh, in the playoffs. And, and, yeah, I like their chances. I think if they can steal game two in New York, I, I don't see how this series goes more than six. Rich, always a pleasure hosting any show with you. Enjoyed it. The hour absolutely flew by. Same here, Ty. Always enjoy talking with you and really, really enjoy talking with Wayne, uh, our guest earlier. Yeah, I'm looking forward to more from him about the Sonics' possible move uh, from Sacra Sacramento. We'll see. 
For Rich Conti, I'm Ty Ray. You've been listening to the Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. And don't forget for all the latest Celtics information, Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots, you name it, go to www, well, we know www already, but clnsradio.com. Lots of good stuff there. It's been revamped, and it is slick. And you can also see all of our great podcasts from CLNS at that website as well. And once again, I want to thank our guest, Wayne Lynch, news director from Northwest News Channel, who came on the show. He's also a 76ers historian and author talking about that great 76er team that won the title and ended the Celtics streak of eight straight titles in 1967. He also spoke to the Kings' possible relocation to Seattle. For Rich Conti, I'm Ty Ray. We'll see you after the postgame show on Tuesday night when the Celtics take on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. The postgame show scheduled for 11 Eastern Standard Time. Have a great Sunday, everybody.